Hello and welcome to the Being and Becoming podcast. My name is Logan Hauer. I'm joined today by Austin Stone and Patrick Dyer, my two regular hosts. How are you guys doing? Doing well, sir. Doing well. <laughs> Good day to talk with my friends. Amen to that. Well, today we're going to shoot the breeze, so perfect day to just hang out and talk with the friends about whatever's on our minds. So we had quite a extensive talk before the recording, just catching up. And Pat, I, I wanted you to start this conversation off with a thought that you had been processing recently about an idea. I'm not sure if you wanted to share. Well, it wasn't exactly that, but close, close. <laughs> <laughs> I just was listening to um, a pastor talk the other day about, uh, I, th I don't know the word. It was like telestai or telelestai or something. I don't know. Sounds it's, Greek. Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, when Jesus is on the cross and he says it is finished in English, but um, this word means rather three significant things. And one is um, Jesus actually, I guess, really said the debt is paid as his final breath. And mm. that is fascinating. Just that not that his life was finished or that his job was finished, but that we are the debt of sin literally was paid off. It's just interesting that in English, through all the translations and over the hundreds of years and thousands of years now, just that it's not that it necessarily lost meanings, but that the words changed and we we don't get the full conceptual and contextual idea of Jesus literally paying the debt of sin. Yeah, I the the debt is paid being spoken, I think provides more context than it is finished, obviously could imply that or And it still makes sense. Maybe in that. Yeah. Right. Right. But but I I do agree that the debt is paid is you can feel that relief more of yeah, the job is not only finished, but this action that was able to be brought about because of the job being finished is like that. Such a sense of relief. Imagine the onlookers watching Jesus suffer agonizingly on the cross, then to hear him say that. And that probably put in their mind the true perspective of, wow, he came to suffer on our behalf to take wow. it on him. And... I stand here looking free from sin, free to be with him because of what he just did. That's a interesting thought. Well, and even watching someone die is such a foreign concept. At that time in history, these public executions happened. I don't know how frequently, but people would walk out and watch other people die on those crosses that's just such a odd occurrence to to watch someone take their final breath in a public display like that i opened up a christianity today article on the word patrick's talking about and it was just saying that it's more than just saying i survived it's saying i did exactly what i set out to do wow Ooh. holy crap that's that's even cooler. Dang. Well, which which is what you were saying, Patrick, and that was so 
encouraging to me because it was like you wonder if the people hearing him say that made the connection oh was this actually his plan you know and maybe they oh. would only remember him saying that when they find out he's resurrected but maybe that's why the centurion observing said the roman guard said this is exact this man is the son of god maybe that's why he said something like that but no you're right yeah that's maybe that's exactly why he said that yeah, that holy wow Whoa. He was watching the whole thing. I'm sure he heard him say it. Yeah. Whoa. This is what I'm understanding. The English language sucks. We bring back Greek <laughs> or something. Our words just don't carry the strength. Well, they do. It's just we've diluted them over time. But I have really enjoyed listening to the Bible Project podcast. Me too. It's, Me they too. They're so good. At, let's just meditate on this scripture, you know, mm-hmm. and they think about it and they're talking about it and it's... Oh, it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I need to check that out. I'm, I have not heard of that podcast. Bi- the Bible Project, t- tier one. They're the best. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and the way they study scripture, too, is awesome. Like, I am all for um, the kind of Bible studying when it comes to, like, doing one chapter or doing one book at a time. But the way they do it is they kind of look at the whole unified theme of the scripture and they trace themes and it's a really cool way of enlightening what's going on in certain places in scripture. And it, that is not what a lot of people don't like, which is topical study. It's like, let's talk about love and, and just trying to like make a feel good message from Bible scriptures. They do something more specific, which is following the pattern of scripture, following the author's intent through the whole story and following themes, which is, it's so enlightening. Austin, does that have anything to do with exegesis versus eisegesis? Oh, yeah. You definitely don't want to be putting things into the text. I, I The Bible Project definitely lets the text and the author be the tour guide. Um, they, don't, they don't really put any of their own ideas into what the interpreting would be. They definitely... They look at scripture like it is ancient Jewish literature you know and it is and they look at it from a literary perspective as well which which helps enlighten the exegesis is that a fair characterization of exegesis and this totally for the listener too I don't necessarily know a lot about this stuff but Austin went to school at Moody Bible Institute and has a bit more familiarity. And then Pat, you probably also have more familiarity than me, um, just in your reading and studies, a scholarly man. Um, <laughs> but exegesis would be reading the text and trying to understand the meaning of the text. And eisegesis would be having an idea in the culture that you're then using to read the text is that a fair characterization or summarization i think so i this is a google search exegesis tries to listen to the text and let meaning come from the text itself in its original historical context eisegesis brings meaning to the text and does not concern itself with the original historical context of biblical passages so i've always thought and i think that just confirmed in me that eisegesis is always it's never really a good option. Never try to do that. But it, it accidentally oh, okay. happens. It accidentally happens, I think, 
because we're living in our contemporary world. We refer to the Bible and then we just kind of, oh yeah, this is how I want this to mean in my life. Using your previous example with love, would that be an example of eisegesis where you have the concept of love and I'm using the words, quotes, whatever, stories from the Bible to support that idea? Yeah, that's ex- that's eisegesis. And I think that's an unfaithful way to live under the Bible and follow Jesus. That's a good distinction. Thanks for I've always wondered kind of about those two things. Thanks for that breakdown. And what I just read was from Southwestern Assemblies of God University. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta cite our sources on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking kind of in this realm of unless did you guys have any other thoughts on that? I didn't want to move on too quickly, but I I just I loved what Patrick was saying about Jesus' last words and it brings so much power. And also, I think Jesus said, it is finished after he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I know different gospel accounts say different things, not all the same. So uh, between all the four gospels, I think Jesus said a few things on the cross that's recorded. And if it is true that he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, I've done what I've came to do. That's crazy. So he felt the intensity of what he's doing. But he also said, I did come what I came to do, which connects to his prayer in the garden, which is, well, if, take this away from me, God, please. But if you're not, I'm going to do your will. So I think that connects. I just had this thought. I really wonder now that we've said all this, and I was going to bring up the garden as well. What if Jesus was so anxious and distraught that he sweat blood, not because he was going to be truly nailed and receive that physical pain, but because he was going to be separated from his father because of he was going to be forsaken by God, the father on the cross when he took sin on. Is it more like a separation anxiety kind of thing? Yeah. Like, like I love you so much. I don't even want to spend one second apart. Wow. I've never understood it that way. That's really... I never thought about that until now. I always... Every, everyone always thinks of it as the, the actual torture pain of the cross. And that's... Right. He's human at, at that time. So certainly he's going to feel the pain. But he's also God it's at the same time. So... And, and if we just look at it from the concept of Scripture as a whole and then the rest of the New Testament and everything we understand Christianity is relationships and it's loving each other, loving in God, being with God. And the spirituality of that outweighs the physicality of that, even though they're tied, but anyway, so maybe, maybe that's more why he was so distraught and not wanting to, and and wanting the, the burden to be taken away. But it just a thought. I mean, I'm not claiming that that's at all. I just thought of that just now. I never considered that. Yeah, I I really like that idea, Pat, because in the way that I would understand Jesus, that seems to be more in line with the person of who he is yeah. than worrying about death, per se. Although it would be re- like you were saying, he was human, too, so that 
also a reasonable fear. Yeah, of it, course. It could go either way. Maybe it's both, too. Realistic, who knows? But, wow, what an interesting point. I think it's so good to meditate on, you know, what Jesus has done. And, you know, if you're a Christian, you know that's such a big part of being a Christian. It's death, you know, and it might become redundant or just there all the time, but it's good to just think about, what Jesus did, and I'm also right now thinking about how subversive it was. Like, can you say it like this? Jesus got other people to do what he was wanting to do. Like, like they were trying to kill him, but that's what he wanted. <laughs> so he could die for their sins. Like, it's just, wow. cr- it's crazy. And, and not just crazy, but so loving. That that becomes the bottom line. That becomes the definition for me for what love is because that's yeah. It's, there's so much there. The, the word of God, God Himself coming down as a human to die by the hands of other humans, even though He didn't deserve it. Something that's compelling to me about Jesus's death is that He took the evil that was in the world, Satan, forcing him to this grave, and He basically turned that evil against itself to destroy itself. The whole kingdom of evil, if you want to call it, the the pain and suffering in the world, he took that on full force and then used it to save people throughout history. Anybody has the option to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, Savior and not perish. Whereas... None of us could uphold the law well enough previous to his sacrifice. I know I would not be able to uphold the law well enough. The fact that he was able to not only defeat death, but used all the features like the pain, the suffering, the conspiring of people against every aspect of evil that could have been thrown his way. He took all those things and then bent them to ultimately cripple that evil i also had another thought um that you just sparked at austin with your last point and and you're totally right that especially in our lives today what really love is or how we see it especially in scripture rather is the sacrificing for someone else sacrificing of yourself for someone else and jesus even says you know no greater love than to lay down your life for someone else. Of course, he's talking about what he's going to do, but he's also talking about what other people will be doing and what other people have done. But what I just thought of is before the fall, was that the same idea and definition of what love was? Because before sin, I wonder how much sacrificing for another there was and not like a literal dying on your behalf because supposedly there wasn't, true death like that or i wonder if love became redefined after the fall or i I, I just really wonder what what love would have looked like compared to the sacrifice before the fall you just set off an explosion of thoughts in my brain patrick (laughs) um can i say a couple things and then can you help me tie back into what you're saying please okay so Bible projects on my mind. They said a couple things that I heard yesterday. Um, 
from, I think, their 2015 podcast. I started from the beginning of what they have on Spotify. Anyway, Paul says, he's talking about the great way, a great way to live. And he says, the, great, the great, greatest way to live is through faith, hope, and love. And they said, wait, never mind. The greatest, the greatest of these is love. And Tim Mackey was saying, faith and hope are temporary. Because when we're back with Jesus, we don't need faith anymore. Whoa. Because that's what our faith is in. And we don't need hope anymore because then our hope will be fulfilled. But love will remain. So I wow. kind of wanted to comment on Logan's comment. I'm sure. Jesus' death on the cross helps us to not perish. It's not only about not perishing. It's about joining Jesus in his project to reunite heaven and earth. You know, and rectify that relationship between Adam and Eve and the creator in a place where there's love, there's mutual enjoyment. Cause God doesn't want to have a relationship with somebody where there's not going to be mutual enjoyment and where there's going to be rebellion, which we see in the garden. How does that tie in? Well, I think in my example, I was looking at the other side of the coin where he's taking the evil, the suffering, which has been a theme. I think we talk about on here quite a bit and he's, bending it against itself and using it to to its own downfall. Yeah. He takes the things that are so terrible about the world and uses it for Satan's downfall. But then to your point, what why is he doing it? Love. That's what compels him. It's not obviously it's to save us, but it's also like what are we building towards? A place where we can live in unity and love. I think that's the other side of the coin of what I was trying to talk about earlier. Yeah. The motivation. And and what was your point again, Patrick? It was about what did love and sacrifice look like before the fall? Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was asking if was the same based on sacrifice. Cause the reason I'm asking it that way is because generally speaking, we often think of, sacrifice having to sacrifice as a result of sin as a result of the fall yeah and the sacrifice can look many different ways from the literal sacrifice the jewish people had to offer to jesus's sacrifice to us giving something up today or to literally just not do something that you're compelled to do whether it be sinful or not and so i was wondering just what pre-fall did that did love look like and and we we certainly probably have an answer of course we know there was relationship of course between adam and eve their family between them and god between the angels there's there's obvious relationship i'm just wondering i just want to know what it looked like i guess but it's hard to it's hard to picture because we were yeah. we're sin minded because we're in it in it yeah we're in the fall so Pat, I hope this doesn't come across as corny or cheesy, but I think it would resemble the closest thing. Again, maybe this is my bias, but the closest thing I think we have resembling that is music, the harmony, just everything working in perfect motion. Wow. I Yeah, I think music is what I would imagine that relationship would have been like. I will say, well said. That's actually an excellent point. And yes, I, I like that. 
I like that a lot. Definitely. Because music transports us also to a place. It does. Yeah. Or at least for me, it takes me to a place that is almost otherworldly in a way. I think it was, this isn't a verbatim quote, but I remember a long time ago, Ravi Zacharias said, there's no better way. He said something essentially along the lines of, there's no better way to spark the fullness of the imagination than with music. And so a similar idea, yeah. So Patrick's question was about pre-fall, but let's talk about pre-creation. So before yeah, creation... I'm down to I'm down for that too. Before creation, there's something that we now call the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And um, they are in mutual, self-giving love, you know. So I don't know if you would use the word sacrifice for the love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had, but there's definitely a self-giving. There's definitely a, I don't know, perfect unity involved. And there's just, there's this awesome book called Delighting in the Trinity by uh, Michael Reeves. And he has yep. a podcast that my sister was talking to me about this week. But he just really does a good job of showing that it was out of that beautiful, perfect love that creation happened. Father, Son, Holy Spirit inviting human beings into this, you know, and then human beings rebelling and then Father, Son, Holy Spirit being patient with human beings for another chance to, to walk with, with God. That's a great point. Actually, I, I've read that book and I completely forgot. That was one of his main points is that like the product of love is creation. Whoa. And that's, that's evident in culture that's evident in families that's evident in having children that's everywhere and that's one of our that's one of the great commands you know was to be fruitful and multiply and that's not literally to just that's not saying just to have children but that's saying you have all been given gifts you will love something you will feel passionate about something and you will produce from this passion and the only thing we're required of is to give it to God, you know, to do our best, not to do it lazily. And we see what happens when you don't do your best. Mm. And when you do it lazily, yeah. you become Cain. And we could go, we could go on that, but we've done that a million times. Yeah. So. so if the product of love is creation, you're making me think that there is sacrifice. There has to be sacrifice. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had to sacrifice the chance that human beings could rebel against them. But out of their love, yes. he wanted relationship. So there, there ha so you, to answer your question, Patrick, I think there has to be sacrifice. Okay, um, I'm with in that. In a perfect world. That was a great point. Would you say love, love necessitates sacrifice? This is how I thought through it. If creation is a product of love, and I'm thinking of love in that way, you have to have sacrifice. There is some sort of sacrifice involved in that kind of self-giving life-producing love. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Shooting the Breeze conversation. Please let us know if you have any suggestions as to books we should read or topics we should discuss by contacting us at beingbecomingpodcast at gmail.com. We hope you join us next week for another conversation.